0: Brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver.
1: Standards Matter, a podcast about professionalism and accountability in real estate. The following scenario is inspired by a real professional conduct case. Some details have been altered for storytelling purposes, and we've removed all identifying information to respect the privacy of those involved. Cindy Chen was on a business trip to Washington State when her cell phone rang. Her stomach dropped when she saw the name on her call display. It was her home security company. Her front door alarm had just triggered. The company was calling to ask if it was an accident. Cindy and her partner were both away on business. The only thing she could think of was her realtor. Her house had been put up for sale a few weeks ago, but she didn't remember any showing scheduled for that day. She frantically called her realtor, Bob Smith of ABC Realty to confirm. Bob sounded concerned. He had no showing scheduled for that day. This was the real deal. Her house had just been broken into. At least that's what she thought. Welcome to the first episode of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver's Standards Matter podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Westaway. Each episode will explore scenarios inspired by real professional conduct and arbitration cases reviewed by your board to give you practical insight and tips on how to strengthen professionalism in real estate and serve your clients better. Our professional standards and legal advisors vet and approve all information in this podcast. This week, we're looking at a case of good intentions gone wrong and how asking for forgiveness rather than permission can result in disaster. We're also speaking with ethics guy Kim Spencer to get his opinion on what went wrong and how you can avoid falling into the same trap in the future. And finally, we have Caitlin Smiley, a disputes lawyer with Norton Rose Fulbright, here to answer some of your professional conduct questions. Now on to the case. Mike Cutter of Spruce Realty had been a realtor for nearly a decade. The first few years were rough, but he persevered and was able to build himself a decent business. He had a stable of great clients who he'd do anything for, and they loved him for it. On May 12, 2013, Mike was with one of his clients touring a neighborhood they were interested in. Mike was chatting with his client and keeping an eye out for for sale signs. That's when Mike's client noticed a beautiful heritage home on the corner of the street with an ABC Realty sign swaying in the breeze. It was exactly what they were looking for. Mike smiled and pulled up in front of the place. He used his phone to search the address on the MLS. He checked the price and features and began to swipe through the pictures with his client. It was almost too good to be true. It was in the price range, recently renovated, and the exact square footage they were looking for. Mike checked the realtor remarks and saw the lines, alarm system, call for code, and lockbox on porch. He asked his client if he'd like to see it now. The client's eyes lit up and Mike called the listing realtor. The call, however, went to voicemail. Mike tried again, and again, and one more time for good measure. Seeing the disappointment in his client's eyes, he had an idea. He pulled out his central lock card and made his way up to the porch. It was easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, he thought. And besides, he had a motivated buyer. The seller and the seller's realtor would clearly want to get an offer on the home. In fact, he'd be doing the seller a favor by showing it. Mike peered through the front window. It was clear nobody was home. He looked for and found a lockbox and swiped his card for access. The box popped open, he grabbed the keys and unlocked the front door. As the door crept open, all hell broke loose. The squeal of the alarm shattered the quiet of the neighborhood and Mike slammed the door shut. His face red, he put the keys back, shuffled his client back into his car, and the two left. He didn't actually enter the place, and the door was locked. Mike sent their listing realtor an apology. No harm, no foul, he thought. But that wasn't the case for the seller, Cindy Chan. She cut her business trip short to deal with the problem at a significant expense. Mike even offered to pay for any damages Cindy incurred, but that wasn't the point to her. This was her home and she felt her space was violated. She and her realtor Bob first filed a complaint with Mike's managing broker. After a lengthy back and forth, both Bob and Mike's managing brokers couldn't resolve the situation. So Cindy and Bob filed a formal complaint to the board. The complaint was passed to the investigative panel of the Professional Conduct Committee. The investigation was swift. They reviewed the case and collected statements from the clients, the realtors, and their brokers, and made their recommendations on a proposed consent to discipline. They found two rules were violated in this case. Realtor Code Article 3, Primary Duty to Client. This rule states, a Realtor shall protect and promote the interests of his or her client. This primary obligation does not relieve the Realtor of the responsibility of dealing fairly with all parties to the transaction and Rules of Cooperation 6.08 Professional Conduct A, which states, a member shall not conduct himself nor permit his employees to conduct themselves in such a manner as to prejudice his reputation or the reputation of the board. The result, Mike consented. Aside from a mandatory course on ethics taken at his expense and a hefty fine, Mike's membership was suspended for 30 days and his access to Lock was revoked for one year. What could Mike have done in this situation to avoid damaging his reputation like this? We sat down with ethics guy, Kim Spencer, REBGV's manager of professional standards to review his options. What could the realtor have done in this scenario to satisfy both his client and the seller?
0: Okay. Well, you know, when you've, scrambled an egg or you've made an omelette you can't unscramble it or un-omelette the egg and this is one of those situations where the thing has happened it can't be undone so at that point the realtor is in damage control mode trying their best to mitigate the situation you know reduce the damages apologize um Uh, pour oil on troubled waters, I mean, that's pretty much their only option at this point. And so it it sounds in the complaint as if the realtor did try to do that. They made an apology. Uh, And, you know, it's surprising how often an apology, a sincere apology, will really help. It doesn't forestall a complaint always, but it does sometimes. It, It often helps because you know what? We're Canadian. That's what we do. We apologize. And Canadians like to hear that. So it sounds like they tried to do that, but because of the magnitude of what happened to the seller, the expense, the worry, the stress, it was appropriate that the complaint would have been looked at by the committee. This isn't one of those ones where, look, I'm awfully sorry, I shouldn't have used your pictures in the listing, or um, I shouldn't have done this, yeah, okay, fine, don't do it again. This isn't one of those situations. You've got member reputation at stake, the board's reputation, the reputation of the profession at stake here in that consumer's mind, in that seller's mind, and all the people she talks to. So yeah, it was a scrambled egg.
1: So there wasn't much after the fact that could have been
0: done? Not really. I mean, my estimation, that's pretty much all that you can do is you, you apologize, you own it you ask if there's anything that you can do uh, to fix it. But in this case, how do you unring an alarm?
1: Yeah.
0: How do you unring a trip back across the border? Uh, it, it was done. So there you go. It's not like a buyer moving into their new home on possession day and, and finding it a God awful mess. You know, that's fairly common. And it's, it's fairly easy to remedy the, the realtor often will call the cleaning service to come in and clean it up. It's all done. But this thing was an, a scrambled egg. You can't undo that.
1: Yeah. Uh, is there anything the managing brokers could have done to resolve this?
0: Well, uh, similar. A managing broker who's in active control of the office and has their hands on, uh, on the steering wheel of the brokerage, well, yeah, they will pick up the phone and they will call the other broker and say, look, uh, this is what's happened. And we will do whatever we can to fix this. You know, tell us what you need us to do. And the managing broker's hope at that point is to get that problem resolved to the reasonable satisfaction of people without it going formal. But as I said before, with this kind of complaint, it's probably going to go formal because you can't undo it.
1: Yeah. How often does the board receive complaints like this
0: one? You know what? That's the only one with that fact pattern where the consequences of opening a door, closing it, and setting off the alarm cause that cascading series of, of issues. That's, that's the only complaint. You know, I've been doing this for 15 years now, so I don't recall another complaint with that fact pattern. We, we have had complaints where there has been um, an abuse of the lockbox system, either by a member not calling first, to the seller's agent to ask if they can unlock the lockbox, as was the case here, mm-hmm. but with no consequences. They, you know, they open the door, close it, oops, and no harm done. No, other than the rule was broken, right? And you know, if they're a serial offender, it would go to the committee. If not, then it would. That's likely very resolvable between the brokerages. We have had other situations that are similar to this in terms of the thing happened and it. And it ought to have been looked at. And those would be situations where a member gives the buyer the code to the lockbox and doesn't go with the buyer to the, to the showing. So that then you have strangers in someone's house who've gained access to it. They're not members. They're not covered by insurance. They're, there's all of that. And, and that, those kinds of complaints have resulted in $15,000 fines mm. to the uh, to buyer's agents who have done that or to members who have lent their lockbox key card to another member. So those are treated very seriously, but they're similar, right? The, the, the thing happened. Mm-hmm. You can't unring that bell. Right.
1: So what advice would you give to a new realtor who might find themselves in a similar situation?
0: Okay, so if I recall, the scenario was the um, the buyer's realtor went to this property with their buyers. Yeah,
1: they were driving, Our, looking right. for signs.
0: Yeah, that's right. They saw the sign, and that's often the case. Uh, back in the day, when you used to drive your buyers around, they'd be in the back, or one sitting beside you, and they say, "Oh, look at that sign there. We we should look at it." Hmm. And for experienced buyers, they know what the drill is. They know that their realtor has to call the other realtor acting for the seller, make an appointment, and all that great stuff. And they also know that if that protocol isn't followed, people get annoyed. And why would you want to annoy the seller if you're planning on writing an offer? So they're, they're pretty conversant with that. But uh, sometimes uh, buyers aren't conversant with that, or they're from distant parts. Maybe they just don't know what the business practices are here. So uh, they say to their realtor, go knock on the door. Mm. Uh, or in this case, um, <laughs> unlock the door with a key box card. So the realtor has to be really strong. It's it's something that we talk about in our ethics courses. We are the servant of the client. We we act for the client. We have to follow their lawful instructions. And those are lawful instructions, by the way, to you know, go knock on the door or use a key box. But they are instructions, if, if followed, that would put the member offside, with the board's rules. Mm. And it's at that point that a professional has to be strong enough and have a good enough relationship with their client to look them in the eye and say, look, I can't take that instruction. Um, It's gonna put me offside with my association. I I, I won't do it. Uh, It's not a great idea anyway because of this um, situation, but um, I have to call the other realtor and refuse. And if the client insists, well, at some point, you're gonna end the relationship if it's that serious. There's no reason to put yourself in harm's way because a client demands it. We do have a choice.
1: That's all we have. Unless there's anything else you'd like to add. If you have any other thoughts.
0: It's an old case. I Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to 2013. That one. Yeah. And in 2013, our maximum fine was $10,000. It was raised to $30,000 five years ago, probably. Mm -hmm. So, I can't remember what the fine to that member was, but I, I'd suggest it was probably about halfway to $10,000, probably in that range. Mm-hmm. So given that the range then was ten grand and roughly a $5,000 fine plus cost plus, plus course fees and, and just the, the shaming that goes with it, mm-hmm. now, as I said, you would be looking at a $15,000 fine and the member shaming, which, which inevitably comes. Mm-hmm. You, must not do it publicly but people make judgments about you it's embarrassing you know no one wants to be held out as being a rule breaker even if it was out of the goodness of their heart no no one likes that so that's a big cost this, to some people it's it's worse than the fine yeah
1: well, so. all right well that's all we have then so thank you Kim Now on to our member mailbag, where we take your questions about rules, responsibilities, and common situations you face in your work. Today we've brought in Caitlin Smiley, a disputes lawyer with Norton Rose Fulbright. Caitlin's practice includes real estate-related disputes and professional conduct matters, and she has worked closely with REBGB's Professional Conduct Committee for a number of years. Welcome Caitlin. Hi. All right, so our first question is from Alex Aragon of Keller Williams Elite Realty. Alex asks, does your real estate insurance cover key and lock replacement for a strata complex if your lock box is broken into and key and fob stolen? Can the strata come after the listing agent or owner for damages?
2: Well, the first part, The insurance point is really a question for the real estate errors and omissions insurance corporation or any other professional liability insurance you have and will depend on the wording of the policy and any exclusions. However, even if you have coverage, it might be the case that your deductible is such that it isn't really worth pursuing a claim if the replacement cost is less than what the deductible would be in any event. In terms of your liability exposure, The strata could pursue a claim against an agent if the agent fell below the expected standard of care with respect to the care and safekeeping of the fob. For example, it might not be reasonable to put a fob in a lockbox in a certain neighborhood, which is known to have issues with lockbox theft. It might be entirely reasonable to use a lockbox in another neighborhood such that if there was a theft, uh, it wouldn't be something that would be the negligence of the agent uh, having caused it. The ability of a strata to go after the owner might be impacted by strata bylaws or any regulations regarding FOB replacement, so it would need to be considered on a case-by-case basis.
1: Next up, we have a question from Josh Bath, also with Keller Williams Elite Realty. Josh asks, what can be done with buyer's agents that no show on an appointment but still have their clients show up? Some members have weird expectations that the listing realtor should go ahead and show the buyer the home even though they're not there to represent them.
2: Well, that's a tough situation for a listing realtor to find themselves in. Obviously, you wanna give your clients the best opportunity for selling their property, but you're being put into a tricky situation in terms of your obligations and, and who they're owed to and agency relationships. You would be well within your rights to refuse the showing and insist that it be rescheduled, but of course, then you risk jeopardizing the potential sale. As a buyer's agent, if you don't plan to be at a showing, you should be communicating that to the listing agent well in advance and seeing whether they're comfortable with it. Really, you should be finding someone else who can cover the showing for you and fulfilling your obligations to your clients. It might be the case that the listing agent is having someone else cover the showing who's not particularly familiar with the property and wouldn't even do that showing justice, not really benefiting either you as the buyer's agent or the listed property. If you do not attend, you also run the risk of there being no one at the property. And we've seen conduct complaints arise from the public where someone attends to view their property and there's no Realtors present at all, and then they're in a really awkward situation because obviously they also want to sell their house and have the best opportunity to do that. But they're not in the business. There's a reason they've hired a Realtor. Depending on the circumstances, even if the listing agent is present and able to show the property, this may also give rise to a conduct complaint and possible discipline under the Realtor Code. One of the obligations under the code is to render skilled and conscientious service. If a buyer's agent is not showing up at showings without making suitable advance arrangements, this could be a breach of that obligation and result in discipline.
1: Last up, we have a question from Phil Moore with Remax Crest Realty. Phil's question is about identifying a buyer in the contract of purchase and sale. Specifically, he's looking for clarity around the buyer's address. What's considered adequately identified? Is a name enough or do we need more information? What about the common practice of putting the brokerage address as the buyer's address?
2: Well, the reason we want to ensure that buyers are adequately identified on an offer is so we know we have a binding offer and ultimately a contract and that requires certainty. If the description of the buyer does not provide adequate information to identify who the possible purchaser is, you could run into trouble if they have a common name and down the road claim that you have the wrong person and that it was another John Smith who made this offer and is bound by this contract. Now. Failure to include additional details, such as address or occupation, will not automatically render a contract void for uncertainty, and even in a nightmare scenario where the buyer later claims that you have the wrong purchaser, there are ways to get other evidence to establish their identity. For example, if they had a relationship with a realtor and that realtor has information that would confirm their identity, which they should also have. But either way, it can get messy, especially when we're dealing with possibly offshore purchasers or realtors who may not have all the paperwork done that they should be having done. Best practice is to include those identifying details at the outset.
1: Do you have a question or a comment for the podcast? We'd love to hear it. Reach out to us on REBGV's member Facebook group or shoot us an email at standardsmatter at REBGV.org. If you send us a question or a comment before November 30th, you'll be entered into a draw for an iPad. For more information on professionalism, including our conduct and arbitration cases, visit our member website at www.rebgv.ca. That's a wrap on our first ever Standards Matter podcast. I've been your host, Andrea Westway. We plan to regularly produce new segments to engage you in conversations about standards, accountability, and professionalism in real estate. On behalf of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Standards Matter. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us and subscribe in your favourite podcast app.
0: Brought to you by the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver.